for this health and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Today uh, we continue, or we're not continuing in the series, sorry. <laughs> we are continuing in the lectionary passage uh, from the Epistle of James. And I've entitled my uh, sermon, Man in the Mirror. Now, if you're of a certain vintage, my vintage in particular, you will probably recognize it as a, a song title, a very popular song from uh, his um, uh, hit album, um, Bad, and, and it's entitled Man in the Mirror. But what's really uh, interesting is that the chorus, the refrain in that particular song goes something like this. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, for you, spare you that <laughs> agony. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. And, you know, it's uh, often expressed in another way. Be the change you want to see in the world. That oftentimes if we want to see change takes place, it starts with me. And I think this passage in James uh, sort of points towards that in some ways. Mirror, of course, uh, figures heavily, and that's why I sort of picked this title. But let's take a look at this passage uh, briefly, and I want to bring out some uh, uh, points that I hope will be uh, helpful for us, will challenge us, but also bring uh, comfort and peace as well. We start from verse 19, I pick it up from there. Uh, and in verse 19, the writer of this epistle, who is believed to be James the Just, Jesus' uh, brother, and he was the first ruler of the church in Jerusalem, he said this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, And in this, he sort of covers, you know, the gamut of what we sometimes speak about as theologians, sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of omission is where you fail to do something. For example, you fail to listen, right? Uh, we, we, we are slow to listen. So oftentimes, we jump to conclusions and we're quick to speak and quick to anger. Sins of commission. You know, as I reflected on this uh, verse, verse 20 especially, it sort of seems to me a very uh, appropriate warning for the age in which we live, the age of social outrage, right? Uh, it's almost an anti-social media uh, sort of <laughs> warning because you know how social media works. People are very slow to listen, you know, uh, because they will jump to their conclusions based on uh, a tweet of 240 characters and then they have a lot of things to say and anger and outrage is the natural out, outworking. In fact, if I could paraphrase verse 20 for us today, I would say something like this, cancelling someone and broadcasting moral outrage does not produce lasting change or true transformation. And yet, that's how the world operates. That's how, if uh, truth be told, we sometimes operate. Verse 21 continues, Therefore, put away all filthiness, and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Or, I like the NIV, he points out in the NIV, um, uh, as it translates it in the NIV, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted 
in you. You know, and, and um, uh, James points out that the Word of God is powerful, it's mighty. It is that which keeps us from sin. The psalmist tells us, right? How can a young man keep his way pure but by uh, guarding it according to your word is, is what scripture tells us. And, you know, the, the, the reality is that uh, that is what we believe. But this next verse, I think, is one that clinches it and, and really, you know, pokes at our, sometimes our, our self-delusions um, um, about how spiritual we are. James goes on to say, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In fact, this verse is probably the theme of the entire book. This book of James is really um, geared towards practical Christianity. How do we live out our faith in the world today? Now, I know well that uh, Church of the Good Shepherd, all of you guys are very much uh, a Bible-believing community. This church is a Bible-believing church. And I would say, I venture to say all of us are Bible-believing Christians. You know, what's more, we're Anglicans. And you know, Anglicans uh, take the Bible very seriously. Uh, at least if you are truly Anglican, right? It, it's, it, you notice we read large portions of Scripture. In fact, um, in the second, uh, the collect to the second Sunday of Advent, I love this collect. You know, uh, we are taught to pray this prayer, Blessed Lord, who caused all holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. I love that phrase. To read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the Word of God. That through patience and the comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and forever hold fast the hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, you know, this uh, uh, commitment to Scripture is seen in the fact that in the lectionary, if you follow the lectionary faithfully, now, I know we take a bit of shortcuts because normally there are uh, four readings, Old Testament, Psalm, uh, um, uh, New Testament, and then Gospel reading. Uh, if you actually follow through the readings, you read through the whole Bible in three years. You know, if you faithfully do it every Sunday. And, and that's kind of why I like preaching from the lectionary because it'll take us through Scripture. You know, sometimes even parts of Scripture we don't often uh, uh, um, get to. And I know, you know, since I've come to Good Shepherd, I've discovered many of you are very well taught. You have good biblical foundations. And in, as a matter of fact, you're so well taught that you can even teach others. Uh, for the uh, sake of the rest of the church, you know, I let you know that we've sent a mission team to Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, not physically. We've been going uh, every week on Tuesday. We've been teaching the church in Ho Chi Minh City, Church of Christ Our Hope. Um, 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 basic doctrine. Uh, our brother Park Chi, who heads up our missions committee, you know, was his uh, idea, taking something called the Church Planting Institute from uh, ICM, and it's a whole curriculum which basically helps train leaders in uh, the Christian faith. And uh, we, we're seeing 20 plus people coming faithfully, you know, joining us. It's translated, but you know, it's amazing because it's mostly taught by lay people. I take one or uh, uh, two or three sessions I'm, I'm doing, but the rest are all done by our, our missions committee people like Park Chi and um, Audrey and 
Sebastian, who's not part of the committee, but he uh, is helping. Uh, Ravi as well, and, and I think Kenneth will be teaching one or two sessions. You know, and to me, it's like wonderful because it shows how well-versed in Scripture we are, that we are able to take this and, and teach it. But I think most of us know that just because you know something doesn't mean you will do something. Just because you know what is right to do doesn't mean that you will live in the right way. And that's precisely why uh, um, James tells us, I always want to say Paul because he writes so much in the New Testament, I have to stop and remind myself, this is written by James. In verses 23 and 24, he goes on and he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. This is an absurd illustration, isn't it? I, I don't know anyone uh, in which that happens unless maybe you're suffering from Alzheimer's <laughs> or something, you know, some, some kind of a, a memory-affecting condition. But while physically it may not happen, right? You don't look intently in the mirror, you know, groom yourself, and then you walk away and forget, oh, is my hair short or long? You know, is there gray hair or, you know, is it all uh, well um, um, dyed to, to cover all my gray? It never happens physically, but may I suggest to you it happens all the time spiritually, right? In fact, the gospel reading from Mark's gospel where Jesus was, uh, you know, basically dressing down the Pharisees is an example of that. He was uh, uh, addressing a community, you know, sometimes as, uh, when we read the Gospels, it sounds like these uh, Pharisees were awful, evil people, but they weren't. They were very uh, spiritual-minded. They were, you know, godly for all intents and purposes. They knew their Bible very, very well. And they were very scrupulous about acting upon the Word of God. And yet, you know, you see what... Uh, um, uh, Jesus said about them. He said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And, and the fact is, you know, that they were steeped in hypocrisy. And if we come back to James's uh, epistle, he points out also for so many of us, in verse 26, he goes on to say, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, he goes on then to lay out how should faith work itself out in our lives? How does uh, um, a Christian need to live? And if we are honest, you know, as Christians, we're not often the most compassionate people. We're not even people who are necessarily at the forefront of social justice issues. You know, I, I know sometimes when we read something like this, uh, some people wonder, you know, doesn't this smack of uh, works righteousness? Isn't this legalism? Are you trying to earn your salvation? You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. That's what Luther taught, Martin Luther, that is. You know, we are not saved by good works. Good works don't make us righteous before God. But now that we are righteous, now that we are saved, we are called to live out the gospel in our lives, to make a difference. But that then leaves us the question, why are we so bad at doing what we know? Why doesn't good Bible knowledge lead to good Bible living? Why do Christians have such a terrible reputation as hypocrites? That's true, isn't it? The problem we face, I think, and, and I include myself in this we, it's not a royal we, it's, it's us, it truly, is that you know there is always a gap between the masks that we wear and who we are in our true self. And after a while, we get so used to wearing these masks, projecting a particular uh, uh, persona or, or way of doing things that you know, it becomes a huge chasm. It's a growing chasm. It's easier to fake it than to make it true in our lives. I um, came across this um, uh, podcast recently, and it's entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill is a very famous mega church in the U.S., uh, which was located in Seattle, uh, Washington, in the north western part of the U.S., and the pastor is a very famous pastor by the name of Mark Driscoll. Uh, and this is a whole investigative journalistic uh, uh, report of Mars Hill and, and tracing its rise and its fall. And, you know, we, we hear about pastors falling all the time. Most of the time, it's some kind of sexual sin or else it's some uh, misappropriation of funds or, you know, dishonesty with, with regards to how managed funds but in the case of Mark Driscoll, it was neither of those things. Instead, it was about abuse of power, about you know the way he tore people down, and ultimately, you know, uh, um, you know it, it became such a big scandal. Even the New York Times covered it, uh, um, how uh, he had uh, abused his his power. And you know, truth be told, he's not the first pastor to fall. Neither will he be the last. And it's not confined to North America, although because of the way media works, we always hear about North American pastors. I know for a fact that even pastors here in Singapore you know, have fallen into sin. And you know, I'm aware that I'm just as vulnerable myself. I'm not standing here to point fingers at others. The reality is that all of us struggle with the fact that we may look in the mirror... <laughs> And we may see ourselves, but we often fail to do what we need to do. Why is that so? The reason is because mirrors can only tell you what is wrong. Mirrors cannot fix the problem. Mirrors have no power to change us. See, the assumption is, once you know what is wrong, that you will act upon it and fix it. The assumption is, that, uh, you know, we will do what is necessary if we know what is right. That's how we often operate in the church. Just preach the right uh, 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 text, you know. 
rightly divide the word of God and people will change. But the truth is, it doesn't happen automatically, does it? So often, we find that we can't do it. Or, if we are honest, sometimes we won't do it. We don't want to change. We are comfortable in uh, wallowing in the way that we are. That's why verse 25 points out. James says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one who looks into the perfect law, again the NIV, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What is this perfect law? What does he mean to look into the perfect law? Or really, we should ask not what, but who. See, if we think of the law in the way it normally operates, the law often binds us in knots. You know, it, it, it constrains us. We think of it as restrictions. How is this law uh, life-giving? How is this law uh, bringing freedom? I quote... Um, is it up there? Yeah. Uh, Donald Budrick in his, uh, uh, Budrick in his commentary on James, he says this, When James calls it the perfect law, he has in mind the sum total of God's revealed truth. Not merely the preliminary portion found in the Old Testament, because when James was writing, that's all they had in terms of Scripture. But also the final revelation made through Christ and his apostles that was soon to be inscripturated in the New Testament. And I'm, I'm stretched to say, you know, ultimately the perfect law is embodied in the one who kept the law perfectly. That he is the one whom James is ultimately pointing to. Because whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. This is why we read the Bible, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why we devote ourselves to studying it. It's not just so that, you know, we have uh, this Bible trivia um, um, capacity. I don't know if you've ever watched the screens that are in our lift lobbies and uh, outside our sanctuary. Um, one of the features that has been turned on, I turned it on, is uh, there's Bible trivia, right? There are multiple choice questions and they ask questions and I bet you most of you can answer all the questions correctly. That's what I've uh, found about people here in Good Shepherd. But you know what? Bible also tells us knowledge puffs up. And if all we do in going to Scripture is to fill our heads with knowledge, we've totally missed the point. We read the Word of God. We, we, we dwell in the Word of God. We steep ourselves in the Word of God so that we may know Jesus more. So that we may come to love Him more as we discover how much He loves us. And that is how we ultimately then dwell and, and, and um, look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. But let me go right back to the start of this passage. James points out that every good and perfect gift comes 
is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that he should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, the whole context in uh, chapter 1 is addressing a church, a people of God, who are facing tough times. And, you know, when we go through tough times, even right now in the midst of this pandemic, it's, it's, it's difficult for people. Maybe not necessarily economically, but certainly emotionally and socially. You can't get together with your family and your friends. You know, we, we are facing tough times, but, you know, there were far <laughs> more difficult times that James was addressing. The temptation at that point of time is to say God's testing us. God is tempting us. In, in fact, in, in verse 13 of uh, James chapter 1, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And it's in that context he says, No, God is a good God. And he gives good gifts. And, you know, he is not wishy-washy. There is no shadow of turning. That it's not like one day he says this thing, the next day he changes his mind. I know some of us have uh, uh, bosses like that. Some of us have parents like that. Some of us are parents like that. <laughs> wishy-washy, depending on the mood that you are. Right? No, God's a good God. And everything he says is yes and amen. That's why we you know, uh, dwell on his word. And he gives us good gifts. But you know what's the best gift of all? We know this. We've memorized this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. My hope and prayer is that each and every one of us continue to receive this gift. Yes, he died once for all, for all of us, but it's a gift that keeps on giving. You know, the good news of the gospel is what enables us to be free of all the things that we try to do to self-justify, to prove our self-worth, to prove our significance to others, to fight to get security. We are secure in the Father's love because He demonstrated His love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we reflect on His word. God, you are a good God. And we thank you this morning that you remind us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Comes from you who is the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow or change. Lord, I thank you that you have given us this word of truth and that you've called us forth as your people. And we thank you most of all of the perfect gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we imbibe this truth, as we read Mark, 
learn and inwardly digest it, that it'll sink deep into our souls so that we will not just become hearers of your word, but doers, that it becomes a part of who we are, that out of our being will flow rivers of living water. Water that quenches our soul, but water that quenches all that we come into contact with, all the people that you put us in touch with. And Father, I pray for those who may be joining us, either here in person or online through the live stream or delayed telecast. Lord, if there be any of us who have yet to begin a relationship with you, I pray, Lord, that they too will come into a saving knowledge with Jesus Christ, your Son. I pray, Lord, that you would cause a hunger to grow within each and every one of us, but especially those who have yet to know you. so that we may come and understand your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to be a different people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, to declare the marvelous deeds of the one who called us out of darkness and into his glorious, marvelous light. Thank you, Lord. Pray all this in your son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen. Thank you, Pastor, uh, for your sermon. And we'll now take up the Tyson.